Welcome to the audio podcast, the weekly sermon of the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. We continue our multi-access worship both online in our recently renovated sanctuary. Sunday morning service is in person at 11 a.m. and we are live on firstchurchbrooklyn.org as well as the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Now, this week's message. Let's pray this morning. Dear God, what more can I say to you that hasn't already been said, that hasn't been spilled in blood and tears? So I just remind you of what you know, that I love you more than anything. And I want to be faithful to you. Help me this morning, O God. Help me to honor you with my words. And let some good come of them. Amen. I wrote probably 9,000 words or 40 minutes worth of material trying to get this sermon out. I wrote and I cried and I cried again and I wrote again and I was shaking as I wrote like I used to shake at the dinner table. I started smoking cigarettes again. I had a week of vacation that I spent pouring over draft after draft after draft of a sermon that would make you see what I, what I need you to see, feel what I need you to feel, and do what I need you to do. But nothing came close to being enough. And that was a selfish project anyways. So this is all I have, and it's not enough. We've been watching a genocide together for a couple of months now. I don't know what you've seen exactly. I'd never seen a child die before. Now I've seen it a thousand ways. In a few weeks, I saw 10,000 kids die, and I'm not okay. I started writing about all the ways I'd seen their bodies broken and contorted And every word felt like failure and dishonor. Like some attempt to be absolved of their killing. It felt like trying to name God. Standing before something so powerful and inexpressibly vast. That any description becomes blasphemy. So I just sit with the images. With those lights gone out forever with these stories abbreviated by bombs 
with those families whose viscera have been torn from their bodies. 545 precious Ukrainian children have been killed since the beginning of that horrible war. Coming on two years since the invasion, 545. And in just a few weeks, 10,000 Palestinian children. How am I supposed to hold that? How am I supposed to maintain sanity when no one will stop it? When I walk arm in arm with my Jewish and Muslim siblings in faith, risking arrest over and over to demand that my government stop murdering kids just to be met with a sickening smugness from elected officials. The only country to veto a ceasefire. The inhumanity of that. The cold calculations of imperialist policy. Surging stock for weapons manufacturing. The geopolitical chess match of it. The willful obscuring and propaganda and weaponization of facile identitarianism. And the death that rolls on and on and on. And the powerful lose no sleep. In fact, I think they go to church. And I think their pastor tells them that they're good people and that they're going to heaven and they're at peace with themselves. But I don't want this world or this faith. Jeremiah stands at the entrance to the temple and says, they have treated the wound of my people carelessly. They are saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. And I sometimes worry that that's all we're really doing here. I worry that our religion is simply the mechanism by which we forgive ourselves for the brutality we unleash upon the world. Because the turn is so quick. The bombs are still raining and blood is still draining from the child's body and we've already forgiven ourselves. And I can't stomach it. I think it should be us, we who make the bombs, we who accumulate the wealth, we who luxuriate in safety. It should be our streets leveled to nothing and our families erased. Why should we sow and another reap? Or rather, it should be no one. This should be another kind of world in which these things go unthought because they are not real. We shouldn't know what happens to skin scarred by phosphorus. We shouldn't know what a school filled with hundreds of dead children looks like or the way explosions rearrange their little limbs. We should not have the sound of a thousand mothers' cries ringing in our ears. We should not have imagined or built instruments like the Hellfire Missile. We should not have funneled our best and brightest into weapons manufacturing, signed billion-dollar contracts with white-collar warlords, and extracted the requisite resources from poor countries 
through coerced labor while beating the drum for war so our economy can flourish. We should not have looked into the eyes of a man self-immolating because the Congo and the killable black life it holds is an afterthought. Yet here we are. And the forgiveness of God is sweet and near, and we can go on living, clean and pure, while the hell we've built consumes everyone but us. I can't ask God for forgiveness for that. I ask the wretched of the earth. They are my judge. God is under the rubble with them. God is buried in their mass graves. God's body is the necrotic flesh that we eviscerated, and her blood is the congealed admixture that cries out from the ground. There is no forgiveness without the resurrection of these bodies, and if we can't resurrect them, we should not have killed them. But we did, for our own perverted peace. And I am dead to that peace. I will haunt that peace. I will terrorize that peace. And I want to know, what is peace for the dead and the living dead? For the ones who suffer at the hands of our great machines of extraction and destruction, what is real peace, one that isn't our comfort, but is the flourishing of the whole world and the healing of those broken by our selfishness? What kind of peace will keep kids happy and innocent at home and safe? What kind of peace will restore the dispossessed? What kind of peace will protect Jewish people from anti-Semitism? and bring refugees home, and let the land breathe. Well, this much I know. Peace is not occupation. Not in the US, not in Canada, not in Australia, not in Palestine, not in Rhodesia, not in South Africa. Peace is not the quiet hovering over dead children and raised neighborhoods. Peace is not the empty histories that refused to tell the story of their destruction and you and I moving on with our lives. Peace is not even the systems that avoid spectacular displays of violence but slowly grind down workers and rob them of the value they produce. Peace is not white supremacy that allows a small quota of people of color to have some modicum of non-threatening power. These things are easy enough to reject conceptually. It's harder to make material stands against them. Hard to, in fact, adopt insurgency, to collude with revolutionaries, to accept some risk to our bodies, our families, our reputation, our proximity to power, but without doing these oppressions, these injustices, there can be no peace. Marchers, 
Rioters, activists, and agitators repeat the refrain, no justice, no peace, reminding us that a superficial tranquility in the face of injustice is violence itself. You've heard of disturbing the peace, but what about a peace that disturbs? What if the peace that comes at Christmas disturbs us? A peace that disturbs because it deacclimatizes us to this atmosphere of injustice, forcing us to confront the violence and chaos that we've grown comfortable with because we've invisibilized those realities, relegating them to the background to a cosmic ether that barely exists at the periphery of a delicately constructed fantasy we call the American dream? What if God shows up to prove that we actually do not understand what peace is, and even less so, how to make it? What if God arrives to undo and overthrow worldly power, inviting us to follow the same path? Well, again, we will find out. We stand here looking ahead, looking toward peace, hoping that when God arrives, she will take our trembling hands and show us the way. We absorb these desires into our practice of waiting, into our tarrying before a new movement of God, and I'm expecting new clarity even as I spend my time bumbling around with an irreparably broken heart, trying to figure out how to make peace, how to be clear about what it is and is not and what it will take to make it, avoiding nothing that seems dangerous or difficult or terrifying, but embracing the risk and the wonder, believing that God will honor that faith will gather that intentionality up into her purposes and dispose of that availability in her way, making me, making us useful. Pressed, but a real peace that gathers everybody and everything. There are no half measures to this peace, only the conviction that all the world is heir to this peace that this peace is universal and exhaustive, that it includes you and me in our little lives and the whole cosmos and its sublimity and grandiosity. Everything is drawn into the peace of the creator who arrives into a broken, chaotic, and violent world to make peace. But we can't be naive or simple in the way we imagine the process of peacemaking. Jesus actually says, I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. Yet this is only the recognition that peace comes at a cost, through struggle. Lasting peace, not as the good intentions of our hearts, but our commitment to material struggle for this objective. So we must refuse to be little counterinsurgencies, undermining those who take this work seriously, who would risk life and limb for it, but we ought to learn from the seriousness with which they take their task. 
So this Advent season, as we await the coming of Christ and the peace that he brings, let's get ourselves together. Let's avoid letting another year go by in which Christmas simply reestablishes the status quo, in which we sentimentalize peace instead of giving ourselves over to its claim on us. Let's become peacemakers who stand at odds with the present order. At the threshold of something radically new, our very being organized not by a desire for survival within this present arrangement, but by a vision of peace on earth that would call us to give up our very lives and embrace death so that we might know resurrection. Maybe Christmas actually means that much. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust you were fed as well as challenged by the content. This audio archive supplements a video library of the entire service. The video, along with music from our internationally recognized gospel choir, is available on firstchurchbrooklyn.org. We provide multi-access worship options both in person and online Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We are live in the sanctuary, as well as firstchurchbrooklyn.org and the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Visit firstchurchbrooklyn.org for more information on both online and in-person worship. Remember that now, as always, you are loved.